Our gospel reading comes from Mark, the first chapter, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go into the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For this is what I came out to do. And he went out through Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to take this off so maybe y'all can hear me better. It's kind of our life now, right? So it seemed that they had slipped off the divine radar, that the God of Israel had abandoned them. The text in Isaiah, the people, their despair is challenged by the questions that the prophet sets before them, such as, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. It's also challenged by a big picture perspective on God's majesty, manifest in the creation. The exile was a critical time for reflection on the God of history and creation. A sovereign God at work and sustaining of the cosmos is surely also at work in the course of history, renewing the people's strength and empowering in the present. Thus, Isaiah speaks powerfully of the God who from the beginning established heaven and earth, and who even now brings princes to naught and strengthens the powerless. Both of our scripture readings for today seem to be hitting right where we are. We're surrounded by illness and exile and the need for healing. We move from the text in Isaiah where the people are in exile and in need of healing to the text in Mark where Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law and then finds himself surrounded by people that need healing and are in a different kind of exile because of the way they're treated due to their illnesses. These stories about Jesus healing people and exercising demons have often struck me as terribly unfair. When Simon's mother-in-law lay sick in the bed with just a piddling little fever, Jesus came and made her well. But we often hear stories of others who lay sick in bed, especially right now, and they are never healed, despite having people all over the world pray for them. I think it's something we grapple with constantly. Mark tells us that the people flock to Jesus. And he healed many who were sick and cast out many demons. 
And at times I've looked around and wondered why it doesn't seem to be happening now. Are we living in the wrong era? Do we lack just enough faith? Whatever happened to these healings and exorcisms? I think the problem may lie in what we mean by healing and exorcism. It's not that they don't necessarily happen now. It's just that maybe our ideas of sick and demon-possessed are often not what Mark and Jesus were dealing with. Take the story of Simon's mother-in-law. The story tells us that she was sick with fever. Jesus took her by the hand and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now this word serve is interesting. The Greek word is diakonio. Does it remind you of anything? Kind of like our word deacon. When it's used in other places in Bible, in the Bible, and specifically referring to men, the English Bibles usually translate it as minister. But when it refers to women, they usually translate it as serve. To me, there's really no reason to translate it differently, whether it's describing the work of a woman or a man. It's the same word. And so maybe we should say that when the fever left Simon's mother-in-law, she began to minister to them. When we do this, the story changes. Instead of getting up to make a cup of tea for everyone, Simon's mother-in-law gets up to engage in her work as host and minister. The story wasn't about how Jesus's magic touch was as good as Tylenol. It's about how healing returns us to community and frees us to serve God. He wasn't some super doctor curing fever or leprosy or blindness. Instead, his healing enabled people to step up to ministry from their exiles. But what about the exorcisms? Are they going about curing schizophrenia and other mental illnesses? Or is it maybe something else going on there too? To better understand the demon stories, we should take a look at one of the longer stories. You may recall a time when Jesus encountered a man living among the tombs. The man was said to be possessed by unclean spirits. He screamed and howled and constantly bruised himself against the stones. When Jesus asked the name of the unclean spirit, it replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Then the legion begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. And so Jesus allowed the unclean spirits to enter a herd of pigs, and the pigs, some 2,000 in number, went on a stampede and drowned themselves in the sea. A little background is helpful here. Jesus walked a land which was controlled by the Romans. For over 400 years, Legion X was stationed there to keep the locals under control. And one of the emblems of this legion was a boar, that is a wild pig. The symbol was carved into buildings around Jerusalem and engraved onto the coins used throughout the countryside. Take a moment to think about it. What animal do Jews believe is unclean? What might it be like to have your buildings and your legal tender marked by the image of an unclean animal? The legion was there to subdue dissent and to keep the population under control. It did this by violence, by the threat of violence, and by humiliation. 
Women could be raped and nothing would be done about it. Men could be ordered to drop what they were doing and carry a soldier's pack or perform some other dirty work. Beatings by soldiers were common. People were co-opted into becoming collaborators and turncoats. They learned to mistrust each other. Their religion was made an object of ridicule and their culture, indeed their very lives, were always under threat. And so, just as in every place where a military invader controls a local population, the Legion profoundly affected people's bodies, minds, and spirits. In this context, then, what would it mean for a man to be freed of the Legion and for the Legion to hurl itself into the sea? What would it mean for a man to be liberated from the violent, controlling forces from the fear, from the toxic mistrust of others, from the humiliation of his religion and culture that the Legion brought with it. Well, the story tells us, the possessed man asked to be with Jesus, and so Jesus commissioned him to go and proclaim the good news, which he did, and everyone was amazed. The exorcism drew the man out of the city of the dead. It drew him out of exile and sent him into the city of the living, where he could tell everyone what Jesus had done for him. In response to his newfound freedom, he went into the midst of things and helped spread the good news. And so, like the physical healings, The exorcism turned people towards God and freed them for ministry and service. Mark tells us many stories about the sick and demon-possessed. They crowd around Jesus in houses and on hilltops. They are in the synagogues. They are hurrying down the street. Like the legion, they are everywhere. When Jesus heals and exorcises them, something further stands out. His teaching. We know the story of Jesus entering the synagogue at Capernaum and teaching there. His teaching was so powerful that a man with an unclean spirit was healed and the unclean spirit left him. Today in the reading, we heard that Jesus was traveling throughout Galilee, teaching and casting out demons. Later in the gospel, he commissions his disciples to do the same. This tells us that the very teachings of Jesus are the healing. When people listen to his words and write them on their hearts, they are liberated from their sicknesses and their demons. They are freed to become participants in his work and in his ministry. And this is the good news for us. Because even those of us who are ill are not automatically shunned as unclean. And even though our neighborhoods are not patrolled by gun-toting soldiers, all of us are affected by the ills of our society and the demons of our culture. And those are the legions for us. You only need to glance at the papers or turn on the TV to see some of our society's fears and driving forces. We are constantly surrounded and bombarded by this information, especially right now in a time of COVID. 
illness and misery attack us on every outlet. It feels often like we cannot escape it. We often feel exposed and vulnerable, isolated and in exile from all that heals us. The words of consolation and the hope in Isaiah are apt for our present moment. The current global health crisis surely feels like a season of exile as we grapple with social isolation and a deep sense of vulnerability. Yet in a book called Vulnerability and Glory, theologian Christine Kolb makes the striking claim that vulnerability is the pivot of salvation. That is, our vulnerability can be a turning point that prompts our reflection on our malformations providing an opportunity for change and for movement in a new direction. Vulnerability is not really an appealing concept, given the high value we often place on our self-sufficiency and independence. Who wants to be vulnerable? But the realities of our present moment have imposed a new and widespread sense of vulnerability upon us that can teach us that standalone self-sufficiency is just an illusion. Moments of vulnerability help us recognize the deep interdependency we have with one another and with God. So in important respects, the oracles from Isaiah and in Mark this Sunday speak powerfully to us now. Indeed, there are interrelated dimensions of these texts that are particularly relevant for our time. The affirmations that the creator God, who establishes the stars in the heaven and calls them by name, is also the God who empowers the faint-hearted and gives strength to the weary. And we are definitely weary right now. For ancient exiles and contemporary ones, any who find themselves in isolated or vulnerable circumstances, Isaiah conveys profoundly good news. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The sovereign God of all creation, the God who makes tyrants fall, can make a way where there seems to be no way at all. Indeed, the central paradox of our faith is that a life emerges from the vulnerability of fear and isolation, from the cross-shaped places of our lives and those places where we need healing. For the divine creator named and sustains the stars and the sky is also the God of history and of our present moment who seeks us out in the midst of our own oppressive realities, setting us free from them and empowering us for liberation, resistance, and homecoming. Lent will soon be upon us. This is a time of the church year when we are especially encouraged to take stock, to recognize the sickness which warps us and the demons which colonize our hearts and our minds. It can be a time of naming and renouncing the legion so that we become free to minister to one another and to proclaim the good news 
in our words, and in our lives. And so this Lent, my prayer is that we take heart. We do not need to live in chains. We do not need to live among the dead. We do not need to be paralyzed by fear or despair. The sicknesses and demons are not the last word. Jesus, God liberates, is more powerful than them all. When we turn our lives toward Jesus and listen to his teachings, we find healing. And with that healing will come our ministry. The present moment is, to be sure, a time of deep interrogation and discernment of what the creator and redeemer God is calling us to be and do. As we look to the heavens and ponder the majesty of a God who establishes the stars and the planets, May we also discern one who comes close to each and to all to renew and empower us for the lives of faithfulness in this world. And may it be so. Amen. Let us stand with one another and affirm our faith by using the Apostles' Creed, the traditional version. Let us speak with one voice. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he arose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.